I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the suitcase and the stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here in lovely Las Vegas for this special episode of the suitcase and the scribe. Mike McKenna, you look like you're in a different city. I swear I you're just down the road from me in Las Vegas. We couldn't <laughs> actually get the two of us in the same spot at this moment. And uh, I just, for the record, not in any kind of detention center. I'm just in a different room. That's yeah. You're I'm glad you're not in jail. Uh, it's, it's good. We are, you know what, man, this has already been a fun trip so far. You know, we, we haven't had many opportunities to see one another in person and much less anybody else within kind of hockey circles. And, <laughs> I feel like, Scott, that this is kind of a welcoming party back to what so many of us in media are used to. And obviously me being new to that game, this is a new experience. We get to we get to go out and and we can share some meals and some beverages <laughs> and have fun. And like, Scott, if, if I didn't know media could be this fun, maybe I would have done it earlier. I don't know, man. I think you've been I think you've been living the high life, brother. This is I see why you like this so much. Well, it was great. And, um, you know, so we're both in Vegas. We were both at the game last night. Not much. Uh, it was it's so great, uh, your experience. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was not a, it was not a great night for the Buffalo Sabres, but pretty impressive night for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And, and for me, yeah. to your point, Mike, it was great to it's been a long time since I've been in uh, T-Mobile Arena, which is actually just a, I. I would have, I would show you, but it's too blacked out. So you can't see that. <laughs> and actually in the distance, see the new NFL stadium where the Raiders play. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to Vegas and it was, had been a while since I'd seen a game mm-hmm. at T-Mobile. Still, there's no other place in the NHL that, that the compression in your chest when they, you know, the pregame stuff, it's, sure. it's outstanding. And yeah, I felt bad for the Buffalo Sabres last night, but it, it was a ton uh, of fun to be there and see some old, old colleagues. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, Mike. It, it is a little bit like a, uh, I don't know if it's a reawakening, but it is nice to be back out mm-hmm. and to have fun. And, and you and I and a number of others shared a little post-game bite last night. It was terrific. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, and I think that it's amazing to think how much the city has grown up, Scott. You know, I, I've, I started my journey in Vegas in 2005, fresh out of college at St. Lawrence University. And I thought, you know, I got a chance to go play in the ECHL. 
I'm I'm just going to see where this goes. Maybe I'll play a couple of years. And if I can't make it to the American Hockey League, then maybe I'll go to Europe for a couple more years. I thought my pro career was probably going to be, if I was lucky, four to five years. <laughs> and it all began here in Las Vegas playing for the Wranglers. And you think of how much the city has grown up. There wasn't a football team. There wasn't an NHL team. Yeah. Uh, I, I can look out this window here. Uh, and, we're, and I'm in, currently in Circa Hotel, which is in downtown Las Vegas. And I can see You're old school, my friend. Yeah, yeah. And it's a new problem. It is a new property within downtown Las Vegas. It's beautiful, by the way. Stadium Swim here is just the coolest thing. They've got these huge pools overlooking a big sports book and the biggest TV screen. But, you know, I look down the strip and there's all these properties that did not exist when I was here in 2005. And if you get to know the Vegas area, you drive around and the roads now, there's a complete outer belt. That didn't exist in 2005. (laughs) And, man, it's it's interesting because, you know, we started here with – about 5,500 5, fans or so. We had a good fan base for an yeah. ECHL team. And Scott, I wasn't sure how the NHL would work here. And I, I remember a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Ray Barilli, the athletic trainer for the Blues. And he said years ago, he said, there's going to be a team in Las Vegas. And I went, all right, Ray. Well, Ray was right, Scott. Can you, can you believe like, what this city has turned into as a hockey market? Like what we're looking at now with the all-star facility, festivities? Yeah, it's true. And everywhere you look, uh, Golden Knights paraphernalia. I, I'm, you know, I'm. I was here. I wasn't prescient or anything, but I was here a few weeks, maybe a month or so before the NHL announced the trial season ticket run that mm-hmm. would ultimately lead to the uh, Golden Knights being awarded the 31st NHL franchise, and they're starting the NHL. And as just happenstance, I happened to be at their very first game in Dallas. A victory over the Dallas Stars at the start of the 2017-18 season. Um, and I'm with you. I, I like I, I remember doing that story, talking to people who'd been involved in the Wranglers operation. I went out to ch- uh, I went and watched a club hockey team, the UNLV team, played in a rink that's I it's, I assume it's still there, attached to a casino. One of my favorite sure. memories. I was out and I arrived at the game early because I wasn't sure where I was going. And it is, it's in an old style casino and there's this rink attached to it. I remember they were playing, I want to it's a team from Long Beach, California. That's, that's my memory. And I remember seeing this guy walking through the casino past the blackjack tables. He's got his gear. He's got his long, uh, long beach Jersey. And he, I was like, are you, are you looking for the rink? He's like, I have no idea where it was. So I was, cause I'd been there. I was able to show him, but that was the experience. Like, what, do you remember, like, what was your life like when you played? Like, where did you guys play? What was it like to live in Las Vegas? Cause you've had two stints here, right? You spent a couple yeah. of years as a color guy for the golden Knights, So, you know, this, this is sort of home away from home for you. It, it is, you know, I kind of have this weird relationship with the city of Las Vegas, but I never expected. And I, and I have a lot of cities like that at this point in my life and career with everywhere I've played. I mean, I never thought I would be um, in love with a city like Philadelphia. And I love Philadelphia, Dallas, Austin, all these places, Portland, Maine. Um, but, you know, I spent two years in Vegas as a player and I spent two years as a broadcaster here. And and still, to, I'm, I still am incredibly thankful to the Golden Knights for giving me that opportunity to be a TV analyst here and learn that side of the business and uh, be part of an of a NHL franchise on a full-time basis, by the way, which had never been the case for me uh, as a player. But in 2005, you know, we lived eight miles west of town 
in an apartment complex right across the street from our practice rink. And some of the things that we'd get into were just so funny. You know, we'd go to 24 hour fitness to work out because that's where our memberships were. We didn't have a, we didn't have a weight room at any, <laughs> either at the practice facility or the game facility. There's no weight room. So we had, you know, memberships and I'm sure we swapped out a 24 hour fitness. Well, you know, we'd show up and there's carrot top and he'd do 50 sets of bench press. And then he'd go play basketball. And our guys would go play basketball, with carrot top, like they're buddies with carrot top. And Pete Rose would be riding the stationary bike at one mile an hour. His legs aren't even moving. He's just waiting for his next engagement at Caesars to sign autographs. And then, you know, we were friends with blue man group. Like blue man was a big sponsor of the Wranglers. So I'm very good friends with a blue man who just okay. happened to be from St. Louis. And, you know, when I came back all these years later, I got to reconnect with all these friends. A lot of them stayed here. And I mean, the things that we'd get into, you know, we were, we had, we were making like 500 bucks a week, man, like 700 bucks a week for some of the guys and you get your housing and medical and stuff, but it's not a lot of money. Yeah. And we would get into Cirque du Soleil whenever we wanted, again, a sponsor and, you need six tickets. Your friends are coming in. Sure. Okay. Put the request in a week in advance. Here's six tickets, 10 rows up. Bang. Surf Soleil, you know, and then Blue Man Group, whenever you want it. We're at the opening of Blue Man Group. We go from that to going to the opening of Tau, the nightclub that we get into. And the best part, Scott, is that we didn't make any money at all. So like we'd show up at these openings and clubs and like our guys would buy like one drink and just nurse it all night. Cause the drinks were like 15 bucks and you couldn't afford them. And I, I could go on and on. I feel like I'm monopolizing our time here. But my, my favorite, my favorite one that we had, Scott relates to playing at the Orleans arena, which is where we were. And that's currently where the Henderson silver Knights are playing until they finish their new facility out at Henderson. It's a layover right now. And the Orleans was perfect for ECHL hockey it really was. And every ticket sold at the Orleans had a voucher for a free drinking ticket on the back of it. Well, the tickets that weren't sold somehow by way of our mascot, the Duke, those tickets ended up in the visiting locker room trainer's table. And then the rest of them ended up in our trainer's table. Oh my God. So glorious. there's a reason why we were good at home. <laughs> I'll let everybody listening, figure out why, what the other teams may have been up to. But for us, what would do, what would happen is we'd get done playing it's Saturday night in Vegas and we'd go to the Mardi Gras bar in New Orleans. Yeah. And I mean, we had stacks of tickets and they were free drink tickets. And so we'd go and we, we, we would tip uh, the cocktail waitress and the bartender right at the start of the night. Yeah. And guys would just get pickled like <laughs> for like for nothing, you know, like for cheap. And then we'd be on the list at a click. Cause we had one guy that showed up in town and he, he just greased every bouncer in town with tickets to the double A ECHL games, but he got us on the list at these like top end nightclubs. <laughs> and I don't even like clubs, but here I am going to these like big dog clubs and Paris Hilton's there, you know, guys are, we, we met Mike Vernon one night, just he's wearing a Tommy Bahama shirt at light at the Bellagio. Like, dude, it was crazy. And I know I could, I could go forever, Scott, oh my God. but this is just a, little glimpse into the amount of fun that we had. Imagine being 22 years old out of college and I don't even gamble. Like I'm not a party guy at all, but yeah. like we always had something to do, man. And oh, man. I mean, I'm wondering for you, you've been here before you've, <laughs> you've had engagements with the NHL in Vegas. 
Do you have any memories related to hockey that stick out to you that, that rival carrot top or blue man? (laughs) (laughs) I, I I don't have those kinds of memories, but I I, honestly, it, it, it's what, you know, maybe in New York, it's a little bit, you know, maybe the Rangers have that kind of vibe given the cosmopolitan nature of New York, maybe, maybe Montreal or Toronto, but you're absolutely right. There, There is just, no place like Vegas. And I, I remember, so I, I remember when the NHL had the first awards here and it was up at the Palms, which we were talking about last night, um, maybe after we left you. I will just say as an aside, after I left you last night, I did go to an establishment. <clears throat> I'm not much of a karaoke guy, but I was at a place last night where for the first time in my life, I've seen someone sing, Puff the Magic Dragon at karaoke. And it was, it was epic. I'm so disappointed now that I didn't go along with you. I cut my night short before midnight. No, you, you should not be sorry. You talk uh, about anyway, puffing, talk about puffing the magic, magic dragon. That's been a big change between 2005 and 2022. They legalized marijuana here in this city. Is, yeah. It's crazy. You used Maybe to smell cigarette smoke and now you smell marijuana, <laughs> marijuana smoke through town. And it's like normal, but it's not normal when you come from someplace that it's, that it's, <laughs> well, that's not it's, legal. I don't know. It's, a, uh, it's an aside. Anyway, so the first NHL awards, we were it was hosted by the Palms um, and the Booth brothers who owned the Palms were part of a group that uh, whether they were part of Bill Foley's group initially that um, that brought the Golden Knights town or if they were part of the ground, they were part of that sort of early group of businessmen locally who were really supportive of the team. Anyway, so we were at the palms and you mentioned the price of drinks in a casino hockey writers are not unlike echl players are like okay we can't afford to be drinking 15 dollar beers so and we ended up uh, i get it's our good our good friend sean rourke from nhl.com i give him all yeah. the props because he was talking to uh, a server at one of the events he's like where, where do you guys go for a drink after work and he said just go out the door and turn left and we found a place called the Loose Caboose, which has been closed down now for a number of years. But what what speaks to me about that moment in that one night, the, so there was a group of reporters in there and it was typical place, right? It had food, it had gaming, it had well jukebox, it was great. And at one point, one of our groups asked the bartender, he said, well, so when do you call last call? And he like looked at us like we had two heads. He's like, dude, <laughs> look at that door. Do you see a lock on it? I couldn't lock this door if I wanted to. And that was the, and so I ended up going back. My good friend, Chris Johnson, he and I had breakfast there a few hours later. We were like on East Coast time. We're back there at seven o'clock having a bacon Jesus. and eggs. Could have gambled if we wanted to. But that was to me when I think of Vegas and I think of how this is different than any other NHL city. It's that, dude, I couldn't lock that door if I wanted to. And that's that's to me, that's Vegas. But Listen, we we buried the lead here. I, we, we buried the absolute lead. You spent two years here as a color guy. And one of my favorite stories, and I will have to ask Liam if he can somehow put the image up at some point. But I have to, one of your big fans is Vegas icon Wayne Newton. You, you got to tell the Wayne Newton story. Uh, a very close personal friend wayne newton 
Here he is. And if Liam will allow the screen share, I can put up the picture of Mr. Newton and myself. And what happened was, you know, I spent two years on TV here. And I think that I really didn't realize the reach of being on television as a broadcaster. You know, the players, I never got recognized as a player. I really didn't. And, and granted, a lot of that's partly because of my career. I was never really a full-time guy. We've been over that before. Like I wasn't very visible. Um, but man, like I couldn't go anywhere in Vegas without somebody double taking at me or saying hello, or I'd be in Jersey Mike's eating a sub and somebody would ask me about, you know, the fourth line. And you just forget, like you walk into any sports book in town and there's my head about 50 feet high, you, you know? And so I didn't realize the scope of this until later. And last year where, uh, we're at an event at the practice facility for the golden Knights. And they were filming for a television show, which recently just aired on the discovery channel where they took a Zamboni, made it a street legal, hot rod drag car. And it, the premise of it was kind of crazy because it wasn't actually a Zamboni anymore. It was just body work on it, but it was still kind of cool. So anyway, they called it like the, the Lamborghini or something crazy like that. I don't know. Zam Zamborghini maybe. And, so they're going to unveil this thing at the practice facility and they want to make a big splash. So who do they wheel in? My very close personal friend, Wayne Newton, of course. And I'm standing there and we're all kind of like, we're all masked up outside at the time still. And here comes the Zamborghini around the corner. And of course I'm standing there and Wayne's wife recognizes me. And cause I had my mask down for a moment at some point outside and she goes, Wayne, it's Mike from the broadcast. And she's like all amped and I'm going, holy shit, what is going on here? You know? And here comes Wayne Newton walking over. I mean, his hair's perfect. The veneers are gleaming and reaches out that paw of his that's held that gold microphone and donkashay. And he, Mike, it's a pleasure. I love your work. You're just, you do a phenomenal job and explaining everything to us. And I was just like, this is the most surreal Vegas moment of my life. And I'm just sitting, standing there hamming it up with Wayne Newton. And sure enough, like we had a couple pictures together and everything. His wife's like, please email them to us. And, and so I sent Wayne the pictures. And next thing you know, Wayne texts me. He's like, I'd love to have you at our show. You go to Vent Caesars. And I'm like, all right, so I'm, I'm text buddies with Wayne Newton now. And uh, these things happen in, in Vegas, Scott. Yeah. And and I think kind of that every man ethos is still real here where even the biggest stars, you know, you befriend people all around town, you know, it's, it's a very community oriented city in that way. It's a very relationship driven city, Yeah. but man, like Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas, like yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it, man. Like it's, I show that to my friends now and they just, they just die laughing is this picture of me and Wayne Newton. Like, that's just a, it's, <laughs> it's a, on it. Like, honestly, that's, that's perfect. It's <clears throat> it, honestly, it is. It's such a grand part of this. And I want to go back. You, you, <clears throat> you said initially you didn't know whether the market would work here, or what it would be like. Oh, <clears throat> oh, there's a, there we are. Oh, that's beautiful. There is my good friend. <clears throat> that's such, it's Mr. Wayne Newton. But you, yeah, I mean, my hair like, is perfect too. Our <laughs> hair is both perfect. That's what happens when you get a good That's hairstylist. Right. <laughs> I think of werewolves of London now when I think of you guys. So, um, 
and his hair was perfect. That's it. Where was I? So, no, I, you, you were talking about, you know, wondering about the marketplace, whether it would work. And, you know, like, you know, we, we've had a, a period of time now in the last week since you and I chatted last where, you know, the Arizona Coyotes, one of your former teams, it looks like they're going to play in, you know, a 5,000 seat, you know, temporary facility at uh, Arizona State University for the next three plus years. You know, it's just like they it's just I, I don't even know what that marketplace is like. Right. At some point, maybe yeah. we'll find out in three to four years when they get the new building built, hopefully in Tempe. But it, Vegas just they got everything right. And you and I were mm-hmm. talking about this at the game last night and I never really paid attention to it. But they do this thing during the game. You know, if you're, you know, it's getting the crowd going. If you're a tourist, cheer. If you're a local, cheer. And and I guess that's what people, I think, you know, misunderstood about this. And even though it is, you know, one of the biggest transient metropolises in the world in terms of people come in and then leave and then another group comes in. I mean, that's Vegas. But there is a it's a community here. And, I, and there Very is a... So. You know, they're building a grassroots hockey program. My old pal, Darren Elliott from Atlanta Thrashers days, you know him, former Canadian Olympian back in the day. Phenomenal guy. Really smart. He's putting into, you know, a blueprint down that probably should have been put into place in Atlanta when he he was in Atlanta in the early 2000s. But they are growing the grassroots part of the game, which to me is so critical to what's happening here. But Mm -hmm. it strikes me that they really understand that. Yes, you want... You want all that, like there were a million Sabres fans at that game last night. Good on Mm -hmm. them for being there. And, you know, I remember during the final in 2018, a lot of Caps fans bought tickets because it was a chance to see their team. But there is a community here. And I wonder during your two years here, I mean, it must have been, you know, it must have been nice for you last night to come back and, and, and see people you hadn't seen, but also to, you know, sort of reacquaint yourself with a community that, I think has really embraced this team. And it's not just the tourists who come from out of town and are on a weekend getaway and happen to go see a hockey game. It's much more than that. It's very much local driven. And I think that that was the expectation. My initial questions were how much of this will be, how much will the community buy into it? I wasn't sure of that. And because Vegas did this in a very unconventional manner, really building this out. And from, I mean, even from the way they hired athletic trainers to others, I mean, they had a, it was just different how they went about their business and it was very groundbreaking in some ways. And, um, and I'll throw a caveat to all of this. I'm still not sure if the golden Knights really catch fire in this city, the same way they do there. They did. If it hadn't been for the tragedy at the route 91 festival, yeah. Um, mass shooting and everything that came from that. The city healed and rallied around the Vegas Golden Knights of all things, a hockey team. They didn't know they needed a the sports team. They didn't know that they had to have that. That was kind of like the rallying point for this city. And then the team went on this magical run. And I think it was all intertwined, yeah. you know, like inspired hockey inspired anything in life can transcend what we typically personify as being normal. You just can't explain why a team does that. And I think the team fed off of it. I think the people in the city fed off of that. And it turned into at the start of the season, people being having all these season tickets and thinking, oh man, what am I going to do for 41 nights of the year? Because buying the season tickets was kind of like the cool thing to do in a city that has a lot of disposable income. And it became 
the hottest ticket in town that you couldn't get on the resale market for anything less than double the value of. Yeah. And it became a locals market. And when they put it up on the, on night vision and on the, it's the jumbotron here, but like, like you say, it's going through all these different machinations of people that could be in the building, right-handed people cheer, left-handed people cheer. And then it inevitably goes to tourists and you hear the, ah, right. And then locals. Ah. <laughs> and it's, it is. And, and it's, I will say it was a, it's a little bit different dynamic this year than it had been in the past. Yeah. I, they, and you can't look past that. Um, there's been upheaval with this team in terms of personnel. I mean, yep. it, it's a little different in that building, but I think to its core, this has really become a hockey market that they've built out the right way. Like you said, they've got two sheets of ice they built out in Summerlin. They've got two sheets of ice that Darren Elliott is, um, running in Henderson now and, and the youth hockey aspect, the youth hockey drives it. You need people invested in this sport. Yeah. I've seen it in St. Louis grow. There's going to be tons of players coming out of Vegas that are playing pro hockey down the road. Yeah. And to your point about Arizona, who knows what's going to happen in that place. So uh, I, I think a lot of markets that you would consider unconventional could look to Vegas for some inspiration on how to do things. You got to think outside the box. You got to create a new brand, a different brand, something that people are excited about. That's exactly what the Golden Knights did. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I mean, there's no blueprint for what happens when you have the kind of tragedy that you did literally days before their home opener. And I remember talking to people from the organization. And so you're stopped in your tracks. You, you know, literally been playing first training camp here's our first exhibition game all building to your first game in dallas and then your first home game a week later or whatever it was and all of that gets turned on its ear uh in the most unimaginable way and you have to you have to walk a very fine line between how you respond to that where it doesn't look like you're trying to benefit or gain from that tragedy yeah but to your point mike that it it actually is a a a welcoming place it's a rallying point and all the nights all kinds of credit you're right you know things change it's a business you know you know to me they become a little bit soulless you know i look at how they treated people and you know i think of mark andre fleury's departure and you know what hasn't all been you know rainbows and you know circuses and Cirque du Soleil or whatever it is <laughs> so it hasn't been perfect and to me they are a team that's maybe lost a bit of its soul just me but in that moment they absolutely hit every note properly and respectfully yes. and yes. it was a dignified way to help a community get over something that no community should have to get over so I'm with you it just and and I'm, uh, you know, having been in Atlanta a long time and having watched the Thrashers fritter away an opportunity in one of the biggest media and economic markets in the United States, it all, it all does come back to grassroots and your local community and that bond that you form. Because at some point, listen, they may win a Stanley Cup this summer, spring. Easily. They're a really good team. They're going to get yes. Jack Eichel back probably in the next couple of weeks after the all-star break, they're a real good team, but at some point they're not going to be. And that's when the true test is right. But you, mm-hmm. I think they've built such a bond here that they, 
it, it, I don't think it will matter, right? I mean, they will ride the waves in the same way, you know, well, maybe not the same way as the Buffalo fans because no fans have gone through what the Sabres fans have gone through. But yeah. they, I think they're built now to withstand the ebbs and flows of being an, uh, an NHL market. It happens to every team. And I, I just think that they've built the foundation here that will stand them in good stead regardless of what happens. I agree. I do. And I think it takes a bit of time. I mean, Flurry was really, when Flurry was traded, that was a dagger to people in town. And not to put a pun on um, the tweet that Alan Walsh had previously <laughs> uh, in playoffs with the, you know, the sword through his back with <laughs> Pete DeBoer's name on it, which was so famous. But um, it really hurt people because Flurry was the face of the city, not to the, not of the team. He's the face of the city. And uh, the power of that is strong, but those same friends that I have that were so hurt by it are still wearing golden Knights gear and still going to games occasionally. And I think there's the lasting power of it still being your team. And I think I saw, I can draw similarities to this to Ottawa. Okay. I spent two seasons in their organization. I spent a, a good portion of one year with them and those fans have been treated like crap. Okay. From they just have, man. Like they haven't had a chance to have anything to root for because they haven't had the money invested in that team to make it successful. And they've had goofy thing after goofy thing happen in, in Ottawa. But the fans may not be coming to games, but they're still there. Yeah. Because it's still their team. Yeah. And you know, and, and Ottawa's a little bit different because you've got a split market between Habs fans and Leafs fans. I get that. <clears throat> But that's a market that really should have something to cheer for. That is a damn good hockey market. Yeah. You get some strong ownership in that, in that market and a good team on the ice, and they'll be packing that joint, even if the arena's out in the grasslands, <laughs> you know. Which it is, by the way. <laughs> it's in a terrible location. But I think that's kind of, the, kind of my overall point here is, like, you build your affiliation to the team. And as much as we, we want players to remain and stay forever – they don't, you know, and look at, you know, Scott, look at Philadelphia, look at Clojure Rue. Like this is a guy is probably going to have his number retired by the Flyers. Good chance of that. I mean, he's been arguably one of the greatest players in that organization's history and they're at a crossroads with him. I mean, here's a centerman that's still playing really good hockey. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not putting up a hundred points a year, but he's going to put you up 70 something. Yep. You know, I, I think that's a guy that, Boy, I look at any team that's looking for help down the middle, the Minnesotas, Calgary's Rangers, you know, you just, it's funny when we get to trade deadline, how it's all kind of the same. Uh, it's that same grouping of teams looking for help in certain areas. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Giroux fits the mix everywhere there. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on where, if you think he's going to go, I mean, I've been teammates with him and I think he's, I think the world of that guy. Yeah, but I think he's going to drive the boat on this. And Chuck Fletcher said as much. It, it depends on Claude Giroux what he wants to do. I'm yeah. curious your thoughts if you think he's going to look for that move. He's going to chase that Stanley Cup because Philly's not there right now. Yeah, well, <clears throat> to me, it's one of the great things <clears throat> every year at trade deadline is that there's usually a player or two. <clears throat> you know, think of Joe Thornton now in Florida. You know, guys that have really toiled a long time with <clears throat> one organization or another, and you know, coming to an end of a contract and maybe coming close to the end of a career. And what, you know, what happens to them? And, you know, the great 
you know, shining example of that is Ray Bork, who <clears throat> leaves Boston and goes to Colorado. Now, people sort of forget it took us took a year. Right. I mean, he didn't it win. Did. He and Dave Anderchuk were there the first year. Didn't turn out. Ray Bork the next year wins the Stanley Cup. I happened to be there. And I remember, you know, that moment when Joe Sackick hands him the, the cup and Ray Bork is you understand <clears throat> what it means to you know, to, to, to work that long. And it must've hurt him at some level not to have won it in a Boston Bruins jersey, but I'm sure it would be the same for Claude Giroux. Right. I mean, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure in his heart of hearts, he would rather play out his career in Philadelphia as one of their greatest captains. And that would be a fitting legacy for him in that community. That's not how it works. I mean, Right. I'm not sure how he fits moving forward, dollar term. <clears throat> what you know, where does he fit with what Chuck Fletcher needs to do there? <clears throat> and what does he want to accomplish before he retires? So right. I don't presume to have any insight into what he wants. <clears throat> but I certainly don't think there's any like if any Flyer fan is pissed off because Claude Giroux says to Chuck Fletcher, if you can find a deal. I, I, I want to go and I want to play in the playoffs. I want to be, I want to be part of a playoff run. You know what? Take a hike because that Claude Giroux yeah. deserves all the latitude he gets. He's given everything to that organization. Absolutely. So everything expected of him. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you know, I think it's eight two five, eight point two five million. I think is his cap hit. Um, you know, it's a big mouthful. So it's, it's likely yeah. not something that gets done much before March 21st because of the cap implications. But, you know, what about Colorado? You know, there's a team that, man, they've got it all going on. Maybe they need a little more depth and veteran experience on the blue line. They got pushed around by Vegas in the um, playoffs in the second round last year. Yeah, they could do some But up front, you add a guy like Claude Giroux, I don't know. I'd love to see him take a good run at it. It would be weird to see him in in a different jersey. But, like, yeah, I'm so curious about – like, do players feel like, like, is there a sort of an empathy or a, you know, one of a feeling like, are, do you think players around the NHL who don't have a dog in the fight, are they hoping Joe Thornton gets a ring? Are they hoping mm-hmm. Claude Giroux gets a shot at a cup or do, do they, maybe their view is so narrow that they could give a crap what happens to Claude Giroux. But well, do you think it happens? Do you think people depends, think- it depends on a couple of things. Depends how hard that player slashed you at some point during yeah. your career. And it, it also depends whether your team's out of playoffs or not, which most teams will be by the very end. And, and I think, you know, we've, I've had so many conversations with friends and teammates that when we say I'm rooting for that guy, yeah. I really wish you'd see that, you know, I think you look at somebody like Thornton who's done this forever at this point and everybody just hopes that he gets a chance for it. You really do. And regardless of what you may or may not have had on the ice, you have such a respect for someone who's played that long that you do, you know, I I hope he gets a cup before he's done. I hope he gets, and you hear this all the time with us. I'd love to see him win one. Um, That's, that's a common phrase that you hear. They do root for it. Um, but I think it's, it's really interesting to see the loyalty aspect of players and who values their current setup, their family life, all yep. those things, you know, Clunger has got a young family. Now he's not, he can't just fly solo and go wherever. Like there's a lot of things to think about. 
Yeah. And that's, that starts to really become real as you get older and you start to chase things. I had to make those decisions in my career. You know, I had a choice, Scott, I could have gone and played for the Hartford Wolfpack one year. I could have gone and played for the Dallas organization where we became friends. Yep. And I was going to get paid more money on an American League deal in Hartford than I was on the bottom end of my two-way in Dallas. Right. But I went, you know what, man, I'm sick of the Northeast. Yeah. Except Portland, Maine. I could have lived there forever. <laughs> but everywhere else in the Northeast, I just make I've I've spent like my whole career here. I've just I've had enough of it. And I mean, I could have gone to the Olympics that year, which would have been entertaining, but I didn't really want to be, I didn't think I belonged there in the first place. So that was kind of the side besides it. I just was like, I've had Austin, Texas and Dallas pinned on my radar as probably the top team for like a decade at that point. And when that contract offer came across and I had to choose, I think my agent was shocked at how fast I answered <laughs> Dallas because yeah. it was immediate and in I mean, we were talking probably like a 50 grand swing. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. But I was thinking of myself. I was thinking of my family. I was thinking of the enjoyment we would have in Austin, Texas as a family. And it made it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made, like by a long shot. And I think all those factor in for players more than just on the ice. But the Stanley Cup is everything. Yeah. And the great majority of players, and this is not a knock on anybody, they want that cup so bad, you'll almost do anything for it. And you're living to live out those temporary years of your life to chase it and try to make it happen. And I admire that when I see it, because man, I never had a chance to play for a cup. I never was involved in playoffs in the NHL. (sighs) I mean, that would have been amazing, you know? Well, I guess, you know, and that's, and I think it goes to, and again, not to presume what Claude Giroux is thinking, but you know, to me at some point when you balance all of those things, <clears throat> as you mentioned, he's got a young family, loves Philly. That's mm-hmm. his home. That's it's captain of that team, right? I mean, he's, he's yeah. one of the great flyers of all time. He just is, even though the team hasn't had the success that he or anyone else would have wanted at playoff time, but it's a real thing. But I wonder at the end of your career, if you, yeah, I mean, we all have regrets, I suppose, on some level. But to me, that would be that would be a hard one to get over. Wondering if you should have, you know, let whether it's Colorado or Minnesota or whatever, you know, whatever you know, team might be interested in Claude Giroux. You know, to me, that would be a hard thing to reconcile as the years pass. Geez, you know, what would have happened if I'd agreed to that deal or not? So, yeah, um, I agree. All right, so we're getting to the end. <clears throat> Speaking of the deal that we never get tired of talking about, DoorDash. So, see, I wonder, like, I think about you and all your, you know, I mean, if you'd had DoorDash early in your career, I mean, man, oh, what, what would have that have been like? But Life DoorDash is a proud sponsor <laughs> of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll get some DoorDash this week. Probably not, though. Vegas got you. You know your way around Vegas in a culinary way, so I respect that. I do, and we may have some plans. So yeah. we're, we're we're actively working on. That. I wish people could get involved. I wish people could get an insight into our soiree and the <laughs> the mashup of characters that. that we have. You know, I mean, amongst our group, we've got ex player, ex you know, ex player, writer, record, heavy metal record heavy metal 
Impresario. CEO, super, like I'm trying to think of the right word for the Maven, the guy who signed Metallica. Like we have a a whole eclectic group of people and yeah, yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff, but look at, uh, let's look at the state of the NHL these days, Scott, you know, it's it's the 29th anniversary. Gary Bettman is commissioner of the NHL Yeah, and it may not be the 25th or the 50th, but we may see the 50th, the way he seems to want to keep in charge of this, but how do you, you've been involved in the NHL far longer than myself even. And when you look back at his, his legacy to the game, what do you see? Cause I think from the player's side, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I think there's a huge appreciation for where the game's at and, you know, the amount of money that, that players can make these days. But I think there's also some animosity there in thinking that, hey, we trail these other four, three major sports leagues by a lot, actually, when it comes to revenues and money. And why haven't we grown more? And some of the, you know, even some of the things regarding concussions and other stuff, there's, I think there's really animosity. So I think it's a mixed bag amongst players. But what sticks out to you over his career in charge of the NHL? Well, I, I mean, to me, it's a it's a function when you know I mean, we're talking now almost three decades of leadership from from Gary Bettman. And and, and I think you're I mean, you're certainly right in the sense that, yes, does the NHL still lag behind the other three major, you know, the NFL, MLB and uh, NBA? Yes, they, they do. Although the gap has been narrowed pretty dramatically, like I'm yeah. really when Gary took over, I mean, it is, it is a different universe in terms of what the league has done in terms of its profile, certainly in terms of the revenues. And, you know, I think of their new television deals with TNT and ESPN and, you know, you know, would have have been nice to have NHL games on ESPN five or 10 years ago. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. you know what? Didn't work out that way. And NBC turned out to be, you know, a very solid, stable, partner in the United States, which was critical to the league. And, That's true. you know, I think of the work stoppages. I think those are a blemish because in many ways they're stoppages that should never have happened. I know it always takes two to fight, but come on. I, you know, I mean, I agree. Yeah. The, the, the work stoppages. And, and I do think, you know, I wish, cause I, you know, I've spent time, you know, I've just Gary and I have both been around a long time. I spent a lot of time over the years with Gary, you know, in, in informal and formal settings. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's very cautious. He's, I, and I think what people, you know, people, he's people criticize him. I always hate when they boo him. Like I just, I know it's become the That's thing. That's just taken on a life of its own at this point though. Yeah. That's just what I people that, do. I, I don't know. I just, I'm like, maybe it's, I just did so. Anyway, why do that? Anyway, he's a heel. I, he's a heel in wrestling. You know, I get that, the black but, hat, but you know what? It is no, disrespectful for sure. <laughs> he has made the game something powerful on many levels. I, I do wish, I do wish there had been more empathy. I, you mentioned the concussion stuff. I, I, I you know, I don't understand. I, I understand it probably all comes from a legal vantage point. Why yeah. the league has been so reluctant to <clears throat> acknowledge the potential of CTE and long-term brain injuries. It's, and they, you know, they do sort of quietly and what they do behind the scenes, but publicly that's not how they do it. I don't think they handled the Blackhawks situation well at all. Um, I think there's been, you know, again, you know, the having hindsight in all of this, but you know, the black lives matter. I, I just think the league seemed unsure of what to do and how to respond. And, and sometimes I think part of the problem for the league is that when they do respond, it looks stilted and it looks 
it, sometimes it lacks empathy or, you know, you know, a genuine feel to it. Um, but I think overall, I'm like, you know, took the NHL to the Olympics and the outdoor games and all those kinds of things. I don't know. To me, it's, it's like a, a relationship that has been gone on so long that, you know, it's, I think people get, you know, there's a, a tendency to look at the negative before you look at the positive because Gary's been at it so long. And, I think that's unfair in some ways, but I there, certainly there's when you hang around that long, there are going to be moments that I, I wonder privately if you wish he'd done differently or approached sure. differently. And I, I think it's fair, you know, some of the criticism certainly in the last year or so, or the last couple of years on some of these issues that I think it's all warranted. So I think the NHL really under leadership is more than anything, just moved at a glacial pace on things at times and never been proactive, you know, yeah. very rarely has, the NHL been ahead of something. Yeah. And, and that's kind of been my sticking point is that I think that, and again, you go from a legal aspect. Well, I get that, but sometimes you need to stick your neck out there a little bit, Totally, you know, and that just hasn't happened a lot, but you know, I, I look at this as any type of relationship where even if you're acrimonious, even if you've had problems, even if you maybe disliked one another during your time working together, well, I'd still think I'd sit down with Gary Bettman and I'd have a debt of gratitude to what he'd done for the league, I yeah. guess is what it comes down to. And yeah. it's not as personal for me as others. I understand that. Um, but it's been a pretty successful run. I mean, this league has grown an awful lot. And, yeah. and I think people, and I'm going to throw some shade at our Canadian friends here, Scott, and I'm going to call you an American at this stage of the game. You guys so <laughs> totally. Long. I'm the angry um, American, my friend that, you yeah. know, that, but I do think that the Canadian viewpoint of this is how all oh, the hockey players don't make any money compared to the other sports. Yeah. Well, hockey is not an inherently American sport. It is not, it's not football. It's not baseball. It's not basketball. Like those are woven within the fabrics of you of life in the U S like it's just not quite, it's still something of a niche sport in the U S yeah. and you can't deny that. And I think when you're trying to project out comparisons and salary, you're just, you're not going to get to that stage where Connor McDavid's making 25 schmill a year. It's just not going to get there. So that part to me is a little bit clouded. I think uh, throughout, through the lens of patriotism, I think in Canada, just having some resentment to a sport, not being in the U S where it is, but um, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm interested to see, I mean, Scott, how much longer can he go? I'm really curious yeah. about that. I, I I am too, and I, <clears throat> you know, I mean, and listen for again, it's always yin and yang when you think of these things, and I think of, you know, how the NHL has <clears throat> navigated the COVID pandemic for the last two plus years now, and in many ways, like you can quibble with some, you know, anyway, you can quibble on anything, but I think the NHL has done a remarkable job, really, over the last two years. You know, you got. You know, you put together a, a bubble playoff that, you know, was seamless. I know it was hard on the players and the coaches and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you got a playoff done, which was the goal. You have a COVID shortened season last year and you have the playoffs and you've, you've you know, you've ridden the wave of the uh, outbreaks this year and had to cancel the Olympic break and all those things. Listen, the NHL, I think, has in the most 
difficult and trying of times has really, and I, you know, we have a partnership with the NHLPA and lots of criticism can be pointed at the NHLPA over the years oh, on yeah. how they've handled lots of these issues. Um, but it's really remarkable what they've done. I, I sound maybe Pollyannish, but I, I think it's been remarkable. Oh, no. So I wonder. I, yeah, I just, like, I, I completely agree with you in how they've yeah. handled COVID. That is one thing I thought the NHL did a real good job of, of yeah. keeping it's it going. Hard. Well, and that's part of that's part of Gary Bettman's legacy too, right? I mean, we're talking thirty yeah. years almost now. The legacy is a complicated one. There's no question about it. And to your point, I don't know. Like, what does like my you know does he would he like to you know get you know, have a period of a year or two of complete normalcy and back to, you know, where the issues are almost all on the ice or whatever. Um, maybe it never gets there, but, you know, maybe that's part of what he thinks. I, I don't know. I'm surprised that, you know, I think initially, you know, was he looking at 25 years or I, I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating question. So, yeah. well, how about well, this? Wait, you know, we're halfway through the season. We've yep. hardly talked hockey on this podcast at all today because we've had a lot of fun things to go over. Who's going to win this thing? I mean, like we all do, we all do these things. We all we go through endlessly about on oh, Norris trophy and the Hart trophy and everything. How about the bottom line right now? Who's going to win the Stanley cup this year, Scott? I think we got to ask that we're halfway through the season. Yeah. Give me your horse here, man. Man, it's hard. It's, and it's funny. I think you and I were talking about it last night. And you look at that Golden Knights team, that was kind of a garbage game. Looked like pond hockey for most of the night. The teams um, were ready to go on break. Oh, my and God. And Vegas has more skill than Buffalo, and they won the game in that <laughs> yeah, fashion. They, yes. But I like I like Vegas a lot. I, I'm really curious to see what Jack Eichel does within that lineup and how Pete DeBoer, you know, manages that group. Every You know, there's with good reason, Colorado is a – freight train i know they lost in a shootout last night to arizona of all teams um but they're a freight train are they are they built to get over the hump did they learn the lesson from losing to vegas last year in the second round um is darcy cumper up is he a stanley cup goalie i i I don't know and for me the east is so hard and we've talked about this a lot no one else is coming in the playoffs right you look at those eight teams those are the eight teams are going to play in They're late locked. April, early May. But out of that group is, I think you can make a case literally for all eight of those teams. You know, the Rangers are really young. Yes, boy, Sturkin's the real deal. Yes. You know, the Caps in their experience. I really, you know, I do, I provide content for Carolina periodically. You know, to me, they're a team that I think is poised to have learned from playoff disappointments. Freddie Anderson's having a Vezina's worthy season can he get over his own playoff you know hump if you can call it that I, I so listen you asked me a question i don't know I, I here's what i'll say right now if i had to pick i would say vegas carolina in the final but oh my god there are there are probably there are 12 there are probably eight to ten teams that you can make a legitimate case for winning it all or going to a cup final so you what's who's Give me your finals right now. I think it's Colorado and Carolina. Okay. Yeah. I think Carolina is by far and away the tightest team. Yeah. In terms of system work. I trust that team. Florida is the most dangerous team. They're the I mean, deal. Yeah. They're just plowing clubs. <laughs> and, and I mean, I don't think the, the, the West isn't as good as the East and Colorado's feeding on that a bit. 
yeah. Colorado is very, very good. But man, Florida's just crushing. I don't trust Florida though, long term. There's question marks for me. Um, I think Andrew Burnett's done a great job. I don't know what it comes in, down to in playoffs. They don't have a ton of playoff experience. Uh, they have Bob is the answer in Florida. He's the only one I think that can win them a cup right now. Whereas Carolina, even if Freddie Anderson went down, Auntie Ranta could get him there if he's healthy. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. But I think Carolina to me is the most solid team all around in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think Colorado from the West, I just don't know what to expect of Vegas when Eichel comes back. Yeah. They could take off and crush everybody. Yep. Uh, but I can also see them struggling to find their way. I have too many question marks there. Could they win? Absolutely. Cause like there's 10 teams that could win, man. Like we know how this works, Yeah. but Carolina's my horse. And, and I didn't know they'd be that great this year. Don Waddell's done a great job. And I just continue to grow in admiration for Rod Brindamore. When I talk to players there, I mean, it's, he's a total package, like cares about him. He's honest. He works as hard as anybody. He sets the tone. There's just, there's a belief there. Yeah. I- and it, that it's a, the it's it's that's powerful, man. It's a real thing. It on yeah. you know, and we talk about you know what happens in <clears throat> Philly. You know, it, it, it's you know, I mean, what do they do coaching wise? Come the fall, uh, Dominic Ducharme looks. You know, I mean, oh my god, that Montreal team is a uh, every yeah. night. It's a disaster. Who's coaching in Montreal next year? I mean, you look at, at these things, but you, you talk about elite teams. Uh, you know, I think of the job that Pete DeBoer has done. And, you know, we talk about the elite teams. Almost always there's an elite coach there. It's it's not it's not rocket science. But I, I do think what Rod Brindamore has brought to that Carolina team is I'm actually writing a piece on it right now for the for Carolina, but one of the few guys, and he talks about this, you know, so openly like he this is home for him right if you look around all of pro sport which you know what former player ends up coaching his old team in a place that he has truly made his home like like he is it's incredible what he is his place in that community in raleigh is i think it is absolutely unique in pro sport and i you know, that dynamic, you know, does it ultimately lead to a Stanley cup? I don't know. Pretty damn good team. But to your point, man, I don't think there's another team in the NHL whose players want to win as much for their coach as that team in Raleigh loves to play and win for Ron Brindamore, if that makes sense. Well, there's, there's one in that same division. It's the New York Rangers. Those players love to play for Gerard Gallant. True. So I, I think that you are spot on but there are not that many coaches that players feel that way yeah. that they feel they're letting somebody down. And I think that was the magic of Dallas's run a couple of years ago to the finals. They were all rallying behind Rick bonus at that point too. You yeah. heard it constantly. So those were the coaches I love to play for. Those are the coaches that I love to run into nowadays that you smile and shake hands and go enjoy a conversation. And, you know, yeah. I've had coaches even, you know, like I mean, Rick Tockett was my head coach in Tampa and I'll tell you what, I started off okay, but I wasn't great for him. And, and talk was hilarious that he'd, I mean, he'd give it to me, right? <laughs> Get big in there, make a save, you know? And man, when I see Rick talking now, I'm so happy to see the guy, Yeah, you know? And, and he just, he, he was a hard coach. Like yeah. that's, he expected a lot. And I love when you can strip the varnish off the walls 
and sit down and, and just enjoy the fact that we've done something special. Yeah. Been in the I, NHL, been part of it. And you add a Stanley cup to that mix. If you can pull it off, that'd be pretty cool for Red Brindamore. Yeah. yeah. Hard to imagine Rick talking won't be behind an NHL bench if he wants to next fall. So, all right, before we go, <clears throat> I would be remiss. We were taught, started this conversation about talking about Vegas and your place here and your memories getting the call, playing in the celebrity ball hockey tournament. I want you, here's my advice to you. Stretch out, my friend. Stretch, mm-hmm. get limber, get big, make a save. I'm, I'm, I'm counting Winter on cup. you. I haven't seen the sports book yet, but whatever team you're on, I'm, I'm taking my cash down there and I'm putting my money on you. Yeah, well, I got the, I got the invite yesterday that from Spit and Chicklet's own and TNT's own Paul Bissonnette that – they needed an e-bug. They needed a goaltender. And uh, guess who got the call? So I think the most challenging aspect, Scott, is probably going to be that I'm going to have to catch with my left hand. And I'm used to catch with my right. But I do catch a baseball with my left. So I'll do my best. That's that's crazy. That we yeah. That's topic for another day. I want, I, it is. It's a crazy stuff. Buddy, always, always a pleasure. Can't wait to actually, once again, see you in person in a few hours or whatever yeah. it is. But <laughs> great work by you. Liam, good job. And we'll do it again next week. But uh, happy All-Star Weekend. Enjoy, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.